Good afternoon, congregation. Uh, we welcome again all visitors who are worshiping with us, as well as those worshiping with us online. And we pray that we'll be nourished and refreshed by our loving God together. There's a few announcements. The offerings uh, again this afternoon are for the work of the deacons locally and abroad. The Young People's Society is meeting this evening. <clears throat> the Evangelism Committee has scheduled a meeting tomorrow evening at 7.30 to introduce the Hope Explored Initiative, and all are encouraged and welcome to attend. And finally, the congregation is informed that Council has a congregational meeting on February 25th, that's a Friday at 8 p.m., to go over the uh, finances and budget. And once again this afternoon, we welcome our pastor, Jeremy Sexter, to lead us in worship of our triune God. Good afternoon, congregation. What a blessing it is to meet together for worship, not only once, but even twice on this Lord's Day. Our God calls us into worship with these words taken from Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. If you are able, please rise. People who praise God's holy name, from where does your help come? Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Let us begin our worship with the acknowledgement that our God is King. He is King, and His kingdom, which is already present, will continue to come until all is God's glorious light. Let's sing Psalm 97, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4.
bound prayer with me before God Most High. Holy God, mighty King, truly we exalt your holy name. It is good, it is right, it is wonderful that you rule us. You are the King of this world, you are the King of this church, and we thank you. We thank you for your mighty and wise rule over us. More and more, let us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. More and more, let us work to bring about your kingdom in total obedience to your laws. Be with us here this afternoon as we gather, citizens, ultimately of your kingdom, with our citizenship in heaven. Give us eyes to see that this is not our home. But still, give us hearts to love where you have placed us. Let us truly seek the peace and prosperity of this land. Let us seek justice from our leaders. And let us do what is just and right as citizens. We thank you for gathering us here at this time and this place as those who are bound together by your salvation, having been given the name of your Son as our own. We thank you that he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, and you are not ashamed to call us sons and daughters. Heavenly Father, As we worship you this afternoon, please accept our worship, poor though it is, and bring about your kingdom in us and through us. All this we pray in the name of Christ our King. Amen. In connection with our confessional reading this afternoon, please turn with me in Holy Scripture to Daniel chapter 2. The book of Daniel, it's, it's a fascinating mix of narrative and prophecy. And this afternoon we see both in our reading. The king of Babylon, he has this prophetic dream, and he wants not only an interpretation of that dream, but for the wise men to tell him the dream itself. And we don't know if this is because he cannot remember the dream, but it disturbed him, or if this was simply a test and he began to doubt his wise men and their actual wisdom. But since this was a dream from God, only a servant of God could do what the king had asked. That's where we pick up our reading, Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. 
He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show, the ki- can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So far our reading. In response to this reading, 
let us sing Psalm 129, a psalm that tells the same message, that all those kingdoms who rise up will be put to shame, crushed by the power of God. Let's sing Psalm 129, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. our confessional reading, we have now come to Lord's Day 48. Please turn there with me, page 561 of your book of praise. This afternoon, we find ourselves in the midst of the Lord's Prayer, the second petition, Your Kingdom Come. It's fitting that after honoring God's name as holy, examining who he is, we would look at what he is doing. He's building his kingdom. So let's read Lord's Day 48. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come. That is, so rule us by your word and spirit, that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil. Every power that raises itself against you, 
and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. After the sermon, we will sing our Amen song of hymn 52, the stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 5. May God bless the preaching of the truths of his word. Beloved in Christ, over the last two years, there's been a lot of discussion about kingdoms. Much of our talk and talk south of the border has been about kingdoms. Even though that word was never used, that was the topic. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. How these two interact, how we as citizens of both should interact, how the reformers, especially men like John Calvin and Guido de Bray, interacted with the governments of their day. This is a very relevant topic. There's a lot to say about this. This was a topic of discussion five years ago as well when I was at the seminary. Many debates about the two kingdoms. But, as fascinating and valuable as a discussion as that would be, as much as some of you might be on the edge of your seat waiting for me to dive into everything convoy and COVID related, there are two reasons that I'm not going to do that this afternoon. One personal reason, one professional reason. So I'll not get into that this afternoon for the personal reason that a concerned member of the congregation came up to me this past week and said, Pastor Segstro, you you aren't going to be preaching about, well, you know, the truck convoy, are you? That's all that I'm hearing about recently. I I don't want to hear about it from the pulpit. And I promised this member that I wouldn't be preaching about it. I'll be praying about it. I'm not going to be preaching about it. The truck convoy, good or bad, is not the gospel. And so it will never be the focus of any of my sermons. The focus must always be on the gospel. And everything else must take a back seat. I'm I'm always up for a conversation, but it has to be a conversation down there, not up here. That's the personal reason that I'm not going to be preaching about that. I made a promise. I'm going to keep that promise. And then the professional reason, it it dovetails nicely with that. The two kingdoms debate, though this is a debate that may feature on this pulpit at some point, it's not the main point of this particular Lord's Day. The word kingdom does not necessarily mean two kingdoms debate. The main point of this Lord's Day is not two separate, distinct kingdoms, the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of the world, but really it's only about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, I I am a Canadian, and that means many things. It means many important things. But above all, no matter how these two kingdoms intersect with each other, there is one kingdom that is far more important than the other, and there is one citizenship that is far more important than the other. I am a Canadian, but that might be point five or six in my identity. First and foremost, I am a Christian. And as a Christian, I have rights and responsibilities, As a Christian, I have a citizenship and everything that comes along with that in God's already but not yet kingdom. And we're going to examine how it can be torn down and how it will never be torn down. 
how it can be torn down. Now you may wonder how I can even say these words, how I can even pose this question, how God's kingdom can be torn down. How can I possibly say these words authoritatively off the pulpit? Didn't we just read together about God's kingdom from Daniel? We read of this stone cut by human hands, or or cut by no human hand, rather, that destroyed all the kingdoms of men. The kingdom of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, all of them destroyed. Verse 44 says these words, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. This is the clear teaching of scripture. Clearly, I haven't forgotten about it. I chose to read it. So how can I say the opposite here? Because it's it's not quite so simple as that. What does our Lord's Day say? It says, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Now we see here that there are two kingdoms that are spoken of. Two overlapping kingdoms, both of them with the same name, but not identical. These kingdoms, they both have the name of church. And there is the church. The invisible church, some might say. This is the group made up of the elect, God's people. A pure church, a holy church, with each and every member a faithful Christian. This is the church that we look forward to. This is the church that we long for. This is a church that we can't yet see. And then there are the churches, of which this one is a church. These are visible ones. Congregations of Jesus Christ. Congregations just like this one, here this afternoon. Our church made up of covenant people. A congregation where there may be wolves hiding in amongst the sheep. A congregation where there may be hypocrites. Now I hope not. I pray for this not to happen. Based on what God has told us in his word, this is the reality in some congregations of Jesus Christ. There is the reality that some congregations will be mixed congregations. Believers and unbelievers looking exactly alike. And we'll see that in this petition that we're praying, part of it is for these churches to look more and more like the church. Excuse me. When we pray this petition, we are praying that we would be sanctified completely. We are praying that we would be made holy. That every person in this congregation, head for head, would become faithful believers. That the hypocrites would be found out And that they would have their sinful natures made spiritually alive, healed, corrected, and powerfully bent into submission to God's perfect will. We pray that every person here, head for head, would be faithful. And then we pray that every faithful person here, head for head, 
would be made strong. And then we pray that every strong person here, head for head, would be made victorious. Faithful, strong, and victorious. This is what we pray, this is what we long for in this church. And the catechism goes on. It says, preserve and increase your church. And now because we can't see the heart, we focus much of the time on increasing the church. We want to market ourselves. We want to have a social media presence. We want to be that church that has scripture texts on our road sign. We want people to come in and join us. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's beautiful when this happens. This is part of our prayer for the church to increase. This must be part of our prayer. But that's what it is. It's, it's a part of our prayer. What comes first in the catechism, what should come first also then in our heart, is that God's church here in Cloverdale be preserved. What exactly does this mean, preserved? Well, let's begin by speaking conceptually before getting into practical applications. So we must pray, first of all, that our love may be preserved. That's the first concept here. I've said it before, I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it. Satan loves the restrictions placed on the church. He loves it that in many churches not everyone can come inside and worship together. But what he loves far more than the restrictions is the divisions that they cause, the lack of love that they bring out. Our love must be preserved. It must not grow cold. Because a church without love is a corrupt and rotten church, easily torn down. A church without love will not survive all the other kingdoms. That's the first concept. And then we must pray that our focus on truth be preserved. And every truth according to its value. The truth is about the gospel first. As pastor, I am on the front lines of this fight, but that doesn't mean that you have nothing to do with it. This pulpit must be guarded against heresy and error. For what is a church that does not proclaim the truth of the gospel? It is no church at all. Not only is it in danger of being torn down, it has already been torn down and has become a synagogue of Satan. That is what happens when we do not stand for the truth and the truth is not taught or preached. And then finally, we, we must pray that our humility be preserved. That's so easy with the other two. If we are a perfectly loving church, loving our own members, if we are a perfectly truthful church, preaching the pure gospel of salvation without anything else mixed in, it can be so easy for us then to become prideful. For us to set insanely high standards for anyone who would join us. For a guest, for a new member, we might say to them, we have the monopoly on truth and love, you must shape up or ship out. Conform exactly to us, or you don't belong with us. You can so easily look down our noses at other believers because they might sing different songs than we do. Because the ratio of suits to sweaters is off for the men. The ratio of dresses to dress pants is off for the women. We can slip into pride so easily. Forgetting the message of Ephesians 2 that we learned this morning. That we are all the same before the cross. The cross is that leveler of the playing field. 
And so these, these are the concepts that we must pray to be preserved of truth and humility. So how practically can we work this out in our lives? How practically can we work this out in our lives? Well, we do so with an ancient three-word instruction on the Christian life. You may have heard it before. Ora et labora. Prayer and work. Ora, prayer, labora, work. So when we pray for God to preserve our love, we must first, ora, literally pray that God would preserve our love. Pray for those that you find hard to love. Pray for them not that they would change their minds and how they act and speak, but pray for their good. Pray for them to be blessed. Pray not that they would be easier to love, but that you would be more willing to love them as God loves them and as he loves you. And then labora, work to love these people. Don't just call your friends on the phone. Call the difficult people on the phone. See how they're doing. Drop off a pot of soup or a bouquet of flowers. Invite them into your home and into your heart. And it may feel false at first, showing love to someone that you aren't really feeling love towards. But it doesn't have to be false. Because the, because the only motivate, because there isn't only one motivation to love someone. The only motivation that there is is not just that you feel like loving them. The best motivation is God has loved me when I was unlovable. Therefore, I must love them when I see them as unlovable. That's a good motivation. There's nothing false about that. If this is your motivation, it is genuine and true. That's how we pray for God to preserve our love with prayer and work. In terms of God preserving our truth, aura, literally pray that God would preserve our truth. Pray for me to have the strength and wisdom to preach the true gospel every Sunday. Pray for the elders and the deacons to use truth to guide our decisions. Pray for teachers and parents to train up their children properly. And then labora. Learn the truth. Be steeped in the truth. First and foremost, the truths that matter the most. Put the news, whether mainstream news or independent news, put that on the back burner for a bit. And demonstrate an obsession for what should be obsessed about. The word of God. Invest time in God's word. See it as food and drink to your hungry and thirsty soul. Read it. Read it in different translations. Read it. And if you don't understand a particular passage, discuss it with a friend. Ask your elder. Ask me. Consult a commentary. Find sermons about it. Be the people who might be seen as obsessed with the word of God. Spend time researching what God has to say and leave no stone unturned. Prepare for Sunday by reading the text that will be preached on. And then if what comes off the pulpit is different from your research or it's the exact same as your research, maybe we read the same commentary, then let's have a discussion about it. Let's have a conversation about it after church instead of just talking about the weather. Be obsessed with God's truth. And then humility. Aura. Literally pray that God would preserve our humility. This is a hard prayer to pray. 
Because pride is so deeply ingrained in all of us. I want you to think that I'm valuable and intelligent. That's pride. And sometimes that pride needs to be taken down a notch. And God works to do that in us. Just ask the senior catechism class about me and goats. My pride took a hit that day this past week, and that was a very good thing. Ask about goats. And then Bora. Have an open mind to listen to other perspectives. If someone is different than you, take that as an opportunity to learn. Maybe they're wrong, but maybe you're wrong. Don't have a conversation with them for the purpose of converting them to your way of thinking. True conversations can't be done as conversions. Instead, talk to each other as equals. And even if they're wrong, even if they're wrong, there must be something that you can both learn in that if you have eyes to see. Surround yourself with people who are different than you for the purpose of learning from them, not for the purpose of teaching them why they have it wrong. And this is what we are praying for when we pray, preserve and increase your church. Preserve us in love. Preserve us in truth. Preserve us in humility. And give us the strength to work these things in ourselves. We must pray. We must pray these things because the church is weak. The church on this side of glory is weak and it's subject to rot and decay and corruption. This is how the church can be taken down. We must pray and work for this weak kingdom to resemble that other kingdom with which it shares a name. That strong kingdom. That eternal kingdom. That kingdom that will never be torn down. That's our second point. So when we read Daniel 2 together, did your heart leap? Did your heart leap in joy and in hope with eager longing? We heard that this morning about Paul's heart expanding and breaking open and breaking out in poetry and in song. The same should be true for us this afternoon with Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. This is what should make our heart leap. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. It shall stand forever. These words, more than anything else, should fill us with hope and joy. God's kingdom, the kingdom that we are part of, it shall stand forever. And that picture of a stone, that should fill us with civic pride. The pride that we might feel when we see a Canadian flag, that swelling in our hearts. Or the pride that Americans feel when, when they see their flag, a flag that they call Old Glory. They, they salute the flag, they protect the flag. If the flag touches the ground, it's, it's a grave insult to them. Now we have no such flag as the kingdom of God, but we do have a stone. Verse 34 and 35 explains this stone that we have. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. 
and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now typically we we don't think of the symbol of Christianity as a stone. That's fine. I'm, I'm not advocating for us to change our branding. We've had the same image of Christianity for thousands of years now. But we have this better than a stone. But we have is truly the fulfillment of that stone. Because the symbol of Christianity is the cross. And it is the cross that fulfills the stone. It is the cross, and what's more, the one who was crucified on it, who's the one that the stone was pointing towards. And what's so amazing about this, and and yet we should not be surprised, because this is God after all, that's what Daniel said. He gave glory to God for interpreting the dream. But, but what's so amazing about this is that we see five to six hundred years before it happened, it was predicted that the fourth kingdom, the fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom, God knew that it would be Babylon and then Persia and then Greece and Rome. The rock of God's kingdom would rise during the time of Rome. And it was the kingdom, it was this kingdom, the fourth kingdom, in which our Savior was crucified, and his kingdom began to grow. It was during the Roman Empire. His kingdom began to grow and grow. The church of Jesus began and has spread ever since. It's this kingdom that cannot be torn down. Every other kingdom will fall to pieces before the church of Jesus Christ. And our Lord, he says this himself, taking the language of Daniel 2 on his lips, he says everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, just like the statue. All other kingdoms, they will fall apart when they encounter Jesus Christ. The Babylonian Empire was brought to the ground by the power of God. This we can read of in the book of Habakkuk, how God's judgment will fall upon them and then the head of the house of the wicked will be destroyed with his own weapons. The cross, the weapon of Satan, it will become Satan's own downfall. When Satan thought that he had won, that was when he lost. And the Persian Empire was transformed when God raised up King Cyrus who set God's people free and who gave them back their land. Political kingdoms, they will break to pieces when they encounter Christ. That's political kingdoms and the same goes for personal kingdoms. Each and every person who sets themselves up as a king in their own life, every person who claims kingship over themselves, having a 4.5 square foot kingdom, they will break. That kingdom will break on Christ. Because as Abraham Kuyper once powerfully declared, he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every square inch, God is sovereign. He is completely sovereign over you, over your heart, over your kingdom. 
Whatever kingdom, no matter how small, no matter if you're the only citizen there, whatever kingdom, whatever king raises himself against Jesus Christ will fail. This is what we know will happen. It was shown to Nebuchadnezzar. It was explained by Daniel. And yet, this is what we pray. We know it will happen, and yet we pray for it to happen. And we pray this not to remind God of his promises, but instead to remind ourselves of them. When God teaches us the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, we then echo his words and pray, destroy the works of the devil. And we pray these words not because we doubt them, but because we believe them. We believe that they will happen, and we long for them to happen quickly. Or when God promises us, in Psalm 2, that the nations who conspire together against him will be broken to pieces, we then echo his words and pray, destroy every power that raises itself against you. When God promises that disaster will follow for those who conspire to return to the sins of their fathers, Jeremiah 11, we then echo his words and pray, destroy every conspiracy against your holy word. And we believe that the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a kingdom that has truly existed throughout all time, for our Lord is an eternal king over an eternal kingdom, we believe that this kingdom is still coming. You see this in the last phrase of our Lord's Day. We read these words, Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. And there's no contradiction in this petition. Believers praying for a kingdom that is already here, because this is the already but not yet kingdom. It already exists The rock has already toppled that statue. But now, now is the time when that rock is growing. It is growing, growing both in size and in purity. And so as the church in this world, we must fight and never give up bringing about God's kingdom in its fullness. Let us not be distracted by what our version of his kingdom might be, but instead, Let us spend time in his word, seeing what his blueprint is. We don't need to reinvent it. We can't reinvent it. Our job is to submit to the plan of the master builder. We must know his plans for the church and then never stop fighting to bring these plans about. And we can fight in many different ways, as we heard earlier, but never forget Ora and focus only on Labora. Remember that this petition is, first of all, here in a prayer. This is God teaching us how we are to pray. And only then, after we pray, can we act. Prayer reminds us that our strength is found in God. And only when we realize and accept its source can we use it properly for his kingdom. We are Christians, first and foremost, above everything. More important than being Canadian Our hearts may beat a little faster at the sight of that red and white flag fluttering in the breeze. But let it beat a lot faster at the sight of the cross. Let us pray that God keeps this kingdom glorious and free. But even more, let us pray that God brings about his kingdom in power and glory. 
Let us pray for God's kingdom to come and then work in the light of our prayer. Amen. Let us now profess our undoubted Christian faith, what God, three in one, has done all throughout history for the salvation of his people. This afternoon, we will use our confession in him too.
You now have the opportunity to give of the gifts with which God has blessed you, after which we will sing Psalm 16, the stanzas 3 and 5. May God bless your giving.
In our prayer for the needs of the world this afternoon, we'll lift up the tense border standoff in the Ukraine with Russian troops poised to attack. We'll pray that the truck convoy in Ottawa will serve as a peaceful protest for justice and not devolve into violence. We can be thankful that they haven't yet. And we'll pray for wisdom and justice for our leaders in this kingdom of Canada. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, glorious King, we thank you for your kingdom, your kingdom that is becoming fuller and fuller each day, your kingdom that crushes every other kingdom in its path and will one day fill the whole world. Lord, we long for that day, especially when our earthly kingdoms fail us, especially when our earthly kingdoms are ruled by sinful men who do not acknowledge you as Lord. Heavenly Father, we lift up the country of Ukraine as the people are preparing for a Russian invasion. Lord, we know that this is a complicated issue. Challenges with NATO, challenges with the United Nations, a difficult history of borders and boundaries. But gracious God, we know the fear in the hearts of many Ukrainians when they see a corrupt, violent, and power-hungry man like Vladimir Putin assembling an army on their border. We pray that Russia will leave the Ukraine in peace, that a war will not be started there, that Ukraine will keep its sovereignty and independence. Please give peace and strength to the country, and especially to the churches within its borders. And Lord, we pray for this country as well. We pray for our leaders, for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Lord, we mourn his wicked and evil leadership especially with the passing of the conversion therapy bill. Please grant us the strength to still respect him as our leader, even while opposing his evil decisions. Lord, we can see so much darkness in him as he opposes so much of what we hold dear, as he opposes what is true and good and beautiful, as he sets himself up against your church. We pray that you will defeat him, Defeat him either by removing him from his office or defeat him by turning his heart. The darkness is so strong, but your light is stronger. And we pray for our leaders here in BC, for our Premier John Horgan, and especially for our Provincial Health Officer Bonnie Henry. There are so many of us, O Lord, who find it hard to respect these leaders, who find it hard to pray for them and love them as we ought to. Grant us that humility and learn to salute the uniform and not the person wearing it. Let our desire for freedom and justice not bring us to the point of rebellion and disrespect. And so we also pray for the truck convoy that arrived in Ottawa last week. Lord, we know that emotions run high. Emotions when it comes to freedom and justice. Emotions when it comes to a prime minister who alienates and openly despises so many of his own citizens. We thank you for the opportunity to peacefully protest and show what this country truly thinks. And we pray that violence will be avoided at all costs. We thank you for the good and the care that so many in the convoy have shown to the people of Ottawa. We pray that that will continue. We pray, ultimately, that this will lead to a diplomatic solution 
where the eyes of our Prime Minister are opened and he begins to act with the people and for the people. Give him and everyone in Ottawa a softened heart and an open mind in these matters. All those on the streets and those in the government buildings, both. And finally, Lord, let us as the church always act in such a way as to bring about your kingdom here on earth. Let us not allow our hearts to be distracted with a very real and good love for our country and then diminish our love for you. Lord, let us love everything according to its value, to love you and your kingdom above all good earthly things like Canada and its kingdom. Give us wisdom to know what to do and the strength to be able to do it. All this we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. In closing, let us sing a song of praise to our Almighty King, King Jesus. Hymn 45, the stanzas 1 and 3. our desire for every creature, from the crickets who sing at night, to the roosters who crow in the morning, to us, the pinnacle of creation, to bring the highest honors to our King. It is only through his blessings that we can do this, for none of us can stand on our own. Receive the blessing then of your King, and go in his peace, acknowledging his rule. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.